0: Cover story. Cover a story or attain that coveted story. Get it? That is exactly what you want. Quoted as the expert, the story, headline, the spin. Every week, join us to talk about all things important to relating to the public. Your public. Craft your image, promote your products, create expert status, become the buzz. Join us with the pros. PR 101, crisis management, media blitzing, it's all here on Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Brandi shapiro Babin, and welcome to this edition of Cover Story. We are continuing our highlight on the Public Relations Society of America's Silver Anvil series, and today is about what everyone wants to be, a winner. And what winners we had Traversed so many different industries, so many different categories, and I'm so proud that we're able to bring these winners to you right here and sharing with you their winning form formulas. So make sure take out your pad, take out your notepaper, or you know, your computer, your PDA, whatever it is, because this is invaluable information because where it's at is public relations. Uh, my very first guest is uh probably one of the most bubbly enigmatic people that I know. It's Joyce uh, Truven curry She's the president and CEO of C3 Communications, who is also a three-time Silver Anvil recipient. She won uh, three Silver Anvils and one award of excellent national honors in their firm's eight-year tenure. And she's also served on the San Diego Chapter PRSA board for nine years and was the youngest president ever elected in the chapter history to serve consecutive terms. This year... She served as a National Silver Anvil Chair. Welcome, Joycey.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: How are you?
2: Oh, things are great out here in San Diego. It was nice to see you in New York, and I'm really excited to be a guest on the show here today to to kind of introduce everyone to some of the most exceptional campaigns that we were able to honor just a couple weeks ago.
1: It was so So, exciting. First of all, give us a little background. Tell us how it feels to be the chair for the most important award series for the public relations community.
2: Well, it's it's really a fantastic honor to to have this opportunity to work with volunteers and the PRSA staff and to put on what is considered the Oscars of the public relations industry.
1: Absolutely. So for you, like can you tell us, you know, after you had the opportunity to be exposed to a lot of these campaigns and there were what 108 finalists this year? Yeah. What Exactly? What campaign were you kind of rooting for in the back of your mind?
2: Well, you know, honestly, because I'm not able to judge, I have to really wait till the very end to see what all the campaigns are, the winning campaigns, and then we sit down with a team of other, other individuals across the country, and we, we, we whittle it down to who's going to be the best of show, which is the best campaign of the year, and who's going to be the best PR team of the year, um, and that's the Pure Professional of the Year Award, of course. And so that's when it gets really exciting, because you actually get to look at every single winning entry and go through it, and it's just amazing what is being done across the country. And, you know, the Silver Anvil Awards, it's not just about a trophy. It's its doing great work, impacting, making change, touching, and making lives better. And so many, and I know the, a couple of the campaigns that we're going to uh, briefly touch on that you're going to spend more time talking about, that they really accomplished that. It, it's a really tremendous, tremendous uh, body of work and uh, opportunities for PR people to really shine.
1: Our very own Larry Weber and Company, Pro bono, they, they won reputation brand management for nonprofit organization with their one laptop per child with RacePoint Group um, bridging the digital divide
2: that was a really exceptional campaign and i think one of the reasons i've got some comments here from from the folks that judged it and one of the things that was really tremendous was not only uh, it was the concept of it i mean this this gentleman had this dream about using technology to educate and empower children to make the world a better place so we mm-hmm. launched this one laptop per child and the goal was really to help influence you know government leaders and it was a wonderful humanitarian initiative that really in the end it, it yielded tremendous results. I mean, they, they were able to get funded for over 100,000 laptops in just seven weeks. And what was tremendous about that is that was a largely PR-driven campaign.
1: With no and budget. Raised,
2: yeah, Right. And it raised mm-hmm. nearly $35 million in funded delivery of over 100,000 laptops. And through public relations awareness, that happened is tremendous. I mean, it, it shows a PR campaign of goodwill, but it, 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 it impacted yes. it. It made change. It made a difference.
1: Absolutely. We move on to brand reputation, brand management, business, companies with sales of more than, of course, $500 million. I think I've given them that much money to $10 billion. Florida Power and Light Company uh, for Florida Power Light Storm Secure Program leaves hurricanes in the past.
2: Well, what's interesting about this is a lot of times with the, when the next the two campaigns we're going to be talking about both have commonalities of being crises. They're PR campaigns that came out of a crisis situation, and you know sometimes some of the best work can happen in an adverse situation. In this case, you know obviously, I mean you live in Florida, but you guys really took a, a big hit in 2006. It was pretty catastrophic, and yep. you know the flower, poor, power and light. I mean, the operations team had to strengthen you know the public's Perception and and, and 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 really make the the public believe back in you know the, their their organization and that was also executed through you know a four month PR media blitz during hurricane season and what it yielded was a dramatic increase of customer confidence. Probably not yourself, as you said, but in this case, the campaign, <laughs> it, it, it increased customer confidence by, you know, by 54%. And they secured over 50 million media impressions. I mean, so you're talking about taking adversity, learning from it, and then doing something good and then reaffirming people that, you know what, it's it's okay. And that being done through public relations is tremendous.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we are going to move right on to crisis communication, government, city of San Diego, Joyce's hometown. Um 2007 San Diego Wildfires Evacuation Repopulation and Recovery um, and they also won PR Professional of the Year in this year it had included a team of four.
2: Absolutely you know it's interesting uh, when this crossed my desk I was like wow this is and I read the campaign it was really uh, grounding, because you know, my husband and myself, we were impacted. We were displaced. Um, you know, our entire city was shut down. You know, and what was so cool about this was this was voted by people from across the country to be the PR team of the year. But it was really neat to be able to shake my colleague's hand in New York City last week and said, "Thank you for doing a good job because you made a difference not only in my life but in the life of our city." And that's really, really cool to be able to do that. Our mayor taped a message saying, "Thank you." It was. It was tremendous, but here's why this campaign won. Um, And it just, geographically, I happen to live in the city. Um, You know, it it won because they learned. We had horrible wildfires a couple years back, and it was just a disaster of of, of communication. It was was awful. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how bad it was. And they learned from it. And then they went and they executed, uh, you know, almost a flawless communication strategy that was able to literally move, you know, 500,000 people around the city safely and in, in, in a, in a in an ordinary way.
1: fashion right
2: it was amazing it was absolutely amazing and it was all again done through really good public
1: relations well you know what it's because public relations is where it's at I mean I have to say it's where it's at so you know tell me just I mean very quickly because we, we do have our guests to move on to but I mean right. your role was so important What were some of the most thrilling moments for you as chair for, like, as you said, this is the Oscars for the PR community?
2: I think probably that the most exceptional point was when we had to choose the PR pro of the year and then we had to choose the best of show both of those, and I know you're going to talk about those campaigns. I mean, the PR team of the year is the City of San Diego, Mayor Sanders, uh, PR folks, and there's four of them, and they're exceptional people. Um, That was very cool, especially because it was so relevant, and and, and I really encourage everyone, and I know you'll be talking with uh, Fred Sainz, who's their head of... um, of communications, uh, I really encourage you guys to go and take a look and read this entry online because it really was exceptional, especially in a crisis situation. Seldom do you find such a great campaign that really made a difference and moved the needle? And then the other one really was the the best of show, and that was the Little Caesars, where they sold franchises um, to mm-hmm. you know veterans. Mm-hmm. It was incredible, and to see those two campaigns play out. And in front of, you know, 500 people at the Equitable Center, it was like, wow, you know what, my committee and the volunteers and the judges, I mean, going all the way back to when we judged originally in New York, we did a really good job this year. And it was, it was tremendous. And it was seeing those campaigns come to life and seeing people going, wow, you know, this industry does great work. And it just made you really proud to be a PR person.
1: Good for you. Joyce Trubin Curry, thank you so much for spending time with us today.
2: Oh, it was my pleasure. And thank you for highlighting these these exceptional campaigns. And thanks, everyone, for listening and, and supporting PRSA. And, you know, if you're not a member, you know, I, I couldn't encourage you enough. You'll, you'll meet great people. You'll get to work on great things. And it'll make a, a huge difference in your career if you're not a member. So go to PRSA.org and you can read these fabulous entries and find out more about our wonderful organization.
1: Perfect. And a great entree into that is proof is in the pudding and the pudding is in the winners. And we have three fabulous winners coming up so stay tuned to this very special edition of cover story
3: stick around cover story we'll be back after this short break
4: Quality partners, quality search, abcsearch.com. Hey, what are you reading?
5: Revenue magazine. It keeps me up to date on everything in performance marketing.
4: Yeah? I get all my information online.
5: (laughs) I don't see a computer next to your boogie board there. Well, I've got a regular magazine here. (laughs) Revenue Magazine is the only hard copy magazine that covers affiliate marketing techniques, search technologies, online fraud prevention, and interactive advertising, branding, and marketing. My magazine's got pictures. Revenue Magazine has everything for online marketers, affiliates, merchants, agencies, and networks. And you can read previous issues, blogs, and more at revenuetoday.com. oh mine's got a centerfold. Revenue Magazine the performance marketing standard. For more information, go to Um, revenuetoday.com. Hello, Uh, welcome to our website. Stand by for the hook.
6: Hi, this is Katie Kempner. Please join me Tuesdays at the intersection of advertising and PR while I talk with my friends, industry leaders in advertising and marketing about the state of the industry today.
3: Live broadcast Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific or on demand anytime inside the Advertising Channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm.
0: Warning, listening to webmasterradio.fm daily may cause webmaster insomnia and an increase in your company's profits. Webmasterradio.fm. Stay up with us all night long. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere.
3: Commercial's off. Now back to cover story. We're reserving a headline for you. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host.
1: Hello everyone. Welcome back to this very special edition of Cover Story. Today it's all about winners. Winners of the Public Relations Society of America Silver Anvil Series, and I have to say, I picked these winners. These winners are my winners cuz I only associate myself with winners. So I'm, I'm Brandy's going to do a little puffery today. Uh, as you all well know, Larry Larry Weber hosts a radio show with us called Market Edge, uh, and it's such an important, wonderful show. And his right arm person, Jackie Lustick, is on the line with us right now. She's fu- uh, Senior Vice President for the W2 uh, Group Incorporated because she is celebrating the fact that they won, which to me I think is such a noble prize to win, uh, brand reputation management for a nonprofit, Bridget- bridging the digital divide. Race Point Group for one laptop per child. Welcome, Jackie. Thanks, Brandi. Good to be here. Ha- Congratulations on what a wonderful win.
7: Thank you. Yes, it's it's been a very exciting campaign, and it's 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 great to be a Silver Anvil winner.
1: Yes, it is. Did you drink a lot of champagne?
7: I did, I did And uh, it it was a great It was a great evening
1: Good, I am so happy for you You guys absolutely and truly deserve it And obviously, you know, we're big into um, You know, what you give out is what you get back So good for you for getting a award For doing something that's the right and proper thing to do Thank you So for those listening And this is very tracky I don't even know a lot of it So we're going to traverse the waters together This was the situation analysis 40 years ago, MIT professor Nicholas Negroponte had a dream about using technology to educate and empower children to make the world a better place, particularly in developing nations. In early 2005, Negroponte felt that the technological barriers could be overcome, so he launched one laptop, one, one per child. OLPC, a nonprofit organization, to design, manufacture, and distribute laptop computers that are sufficiently affordable to provide every child in the world access to new channels of learning and self-expression. By late two thousand and six, Negroponte realized that OLPC needed a global communications campaign to help influence government leaders in targeted countries to commit to the program. Furthermore. As it became apparent that OLPC might actually succeed in building and delivering a low cost laptop to one billion of the world's children, two industry giants, Intel and Microsoft, began their own their own FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt campaigns to discredit OLPC and shut it down. Negroponte's big dream was no longer viewed by some as one man's quote pipe dream, but as a viral movement to be squashed. What kind of research did you do and what did that research say that allowed you to create your planning stages?
7: Well, the research phase was was very important. It actually was a very brief phase because um, we were under a lot of pressure to get the campaign going as, as soon as possible. But we did do some important research, and that research was really around understanding constructionist learning theory, which, not to get complicated on you, was the sort, of the sort of the underpinnings of one laptop per child, which looks at, basically, constructionist learning theory says that children learn best by doing mm-hmm. and making things and creating rather than uh, being in a traditional classroom, classroom right. through rote mm-hmm. learning. Mm-hmm. And that was the underpinning of one laptop per child. So we had to understand that theory because it was going to help us with our messaging about one laptop per child's unique and important approach to education.
1: So definitively, you know, now you understand better about the program. You understand better about the goals. You understand better about the history. Now, what are you doing? What, well, how, you know, what's your what's your pronged approach? To plan and then execute right well
7: we had a few major audiences here when we started the program in late 2006 we had two major objectives one was uh, targeting developing nations that um, Negroponte was trying to convince them to participate in one laptop per child so he asked us to devise a public relations campaign which would make government leaders of developing nations aware and interested in the project so that, that he could go in as the super salesman and hopefully close the deal. And a second um, objective was obviously uh, we had to fight against um, a, a very strong and well-funded campaign by, by Intel which was very concerned about the OLPC laptop which is a non intel based laptop getting into the hands of a billion children in third world countries and intel had its own laptop uh, which it had launched called the classmate so we had to come up with a campaign to fight against intel and then our third major objective which actually came into play not until the middle of two thousand and seven Negroponte decided that to launch a charitable giving program in the United States and Canada in order to fund the delivery of 100,000 laptops to some of the world's poorest nations. And ultimately this came to be known as the Give One, Get One campaign targeting U.S. and Canadian consumers. So we had three very important objectives uh, up front. And the strategies, which I've somewhat alluded to, mm-hmm. um, to, to meeting those objectives was, one, we, we had a whole campaign around moral c- purpose, positioning OLPC as a humanitarian mission that's designed to provide uh, children in developing nations with access to modern education. We had an education purpose. Um, we were frequently, OPC frequently is criticized for you know, why should you provide laptops to children who are also suffering from malnutrition or disease, lack of water, shelter, clothing, and we had to respond to that, so we had a campaign around that, okay. and then the third leg was the technology innovation, I'm highlighting the laptop is the first computer designed specifically for children based upon how children learn, mm-hmm. and that factors in the remote and rural environments in which they live in developing na- nations where they don't necessarily have electricity.
1: You know, it's very interesting because I would think that, on, on you know, I, I can understand a lot of people's gut reaction would be, oh my God you know there's so many diseases in these emerging countries why wouldn't you tackle that first well you know what the reason perchance why that's happened is because these people aren't being properly educated and if they are properly educated then future generations can be secured and become healthy due to the education that this program is bringing to these right that's to these right age- right that's
7: right and we would repeatedly say don't think of OLPC as a laptop project think of us as an education project that is empowering future generations of citizens to solve their own problems rather than the traditional approach that we have of developed nations like the united states and western europe giving countries handouts right we would say substitute the word education for laptop And you won't ask me that question again and and generally that that worked. people said aha I get it
1: right absolutely but I but I understand the first reaction is but these people are sick like how's a laptop having a sick person well guess what this generation may be sick but the next generation may be healthier and more productive than they've ever been we're giving them that opportunity instead of that quick fix so when we talk about um, you know evaluation and results you guys have done a, some pretty remarkable things, and especially, you know, RacePoint W-2 group.
7: Well, I, I think it was a pretty successful campaign. Um, some of the results were been, initially we had targeted, we wanted to get 10 countries to talk to Negroponte about committing to the program. And at the end of 2007, he had secured purchase agreements with Uruguay and Peru. And he was in advanced discussions with 17 other countries. And this was helped by the fact that we were able to drive more than 20,000 stories in print and broadcast media and over 60,000 blog posts, um, which brought OLPC to the attention of these governments. Um, and also, there was a lot of interest, obviously, in the United States, um, where a program has kicked off in the city of Birmingham. Uh, Alabama there's interest from this from the city of New York uh and uh, several other um, governors have approached um Negroponte about um wanting in the United States which was not his initial priority because he's really going after the poorest of of the poor um, in in the third world and um, it's the second i think major result which mm-hmm. the silverhandel uh signaled Uh, called out was the fact that the Give One, Get One campaign, which ran from November 12th through December 31st of 2007, that's the one that targeted U.S. and Canadian consumers, Mm -hmm. raised $35 million and funded the the delivery of more than 100,000 laptops to children in places such as Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Haiti, Mongolia, Rwanda.
1: So that, that was right.
7: highly successful that as
1: well. Is. And you know, and, and I'm, I'm also reading here that in uh, you know Intel, shame on you! That um, that Race Point secured 60 minutes for an interview, which resulted, if I'm not mistaken, in in you know Big Bad Intel turning around, closing up shop, and coming on your board. Right. So we
7: did uh, we did an in, we did a session with 60 minutes. It was well, approximately a year ago, and it aired, I think, in May of 2007, in which Negroponte exposed um, some of Intel's behavior disparaging OLPC to, for example, the president of Nigeria um, at that time, President Obasanjo. So uh, Intel was, I think, pretty embarrassed by that whole episode, and after that, a couple of weeks later, OLPC and Intel entered into discussions. Intel uh, joined the OPC board in July of 2007. Unfortunately, over the next six months, Intel didn't live up to any of its agreements. And Boo. It, in the end, OOPC had to throw Intel off of its board, and that spilled over into a pretty nasty public dispute in january of 2008 so unfortunately they just the two parties couldn't come to an agreement intel just sees olpc as too much of a threat and continues to uh, disparage it against it uh, to to government leaders
1: how very sad now let me ask you a question because you did you did this program pro bono um, and as you know, you know every, people that are listening to this radio show are, you know, some are PR practitioners, um, but a lot of just are business people who, you know, maybe have a great product or service that, um, you know, they're extremely passionate about that they could reach out. Maybe they don't have the budget, or maybe they do have the budget, who knows? Um, but they'd like to reach out to a PR agency or an advertising agency um, and, and create a pro bono scenario. On the baseline, understanding that everyone's different, what can someone expect from a pro bono relationship, and what are the normal parameters for that?
7: Well, I think that uh, usually a pro bono re- relationship is around is some kind of around a cause, uh, some kind of humanitarian or social cause, and I think in the case I, mean, I can't speak to other firms, but. Um, I think that if the PR agency is passionate about that cause, then it will do its utmost um, to support that cause. So we had a very small, committed, core group of people here at RacePoint Group who just are in love with what One Laptop Per Child is going to do, and we just do everything we can to, to help them because it's such a great cause.
1: Of course, behind every brilliant man, there's a brilliant woman. That's Jackie Lustig. Uh, And of course, you should be listening to Larry Weber's radio show, which is Market Edge every Tuesday at noon Eastern, right here on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more Cover Story.
3: Stick around. Cover Story. We'll be back after this short break.
6: need help improving your PPC campaigns tired of spending all your time swamped with spreadsheets and manual updates turn to adapt SEM software to optimize your campaigns and to reach your goals adapt SEM is one of the most affordable and reliable tools on the market for improving PPC campaigns adapt SEM not only optimizes your bids but also gives you keyword suggestions competitive research and helps to test ads all in one place at flat rate pricing and no long-term commitments learn how adapt SEM can help manage your PPC campaigns better. Check out our free webinar at adapt.com slash webmaster radio. Sign up now for a free personal tour. Adapt.com slash webmaster radio.
3: SEOSeq.com is your one-stop site for everything SEO. From search engine marketing to pay-per-click management, SEOSeq.com delivers high-quality SEO services at affordable prices. SEOSeq.com can help you with SEO analysis, monthly reports, title and meta tag optimization, email support, and so much more. Want to keep your SEO in-house? Let our professional trainers teach SEO to your staff. Get a free quote and a free competitive analysis today at SEOSeek.com. Susan, you're
4: still responsible for digital marketing programs, right? Right. So your team is responsible for email marketing, web analytics, PPC campaign optimization, and scheduling? Uh, Your point? Why are you so relaxed? My team deals with five different solutions, tech support teams, and just as many invoices, and it's making us mental. What is it? Aromatherapy? Acupuncture? Why are you so relaxed?
6: You just have to simplify your tool set and unify your team. Lyris provides totally integrated email marketing, web analytics, PPC campaign management, and calendaring functionality. It's all in one spot that provides a holistic view of all your team's efforts. And you get all of this functionality for $299 a month.
4: So with Lyris, one company can do it all. I feel like I can cancel that acupuncture appointment already.
3: To see how Lyris can simplify your life... Visit Lyris.com or call 1 888 GO Lyris. Simplify, unify, and increase ROI with Lyris today.
0: This is Rainmaker.
3: Jack Lalane. A lot
4: of people that are listening to the show right now, they're sitting in front of their computers for hours and hours
3: every day.
8: You know what they ought to do about every hour or so? They should just stand up and sit down in their chair. You're sitting down now, right? Absolutely. Stand up.
3: Okay. Now I- sit
8: down. <laughs> stand up. Sit down. Keep going. I do it fast. <laughs> sit down. Sit down. Get your backside to the chair. Let
4: me do tell you, I'm up. already huffing and puffing.
9: <laughs> okay.
0: Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific or on demand anytime inside the Entertainment Channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm.
4: Watch out for the vampires. Enter the communications coven that is webmasterradio.fm. Now on Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. Visit the webmasterradio.fm homepage for all
3: the details. Commercials off. Now, back to Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here's your host.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to this uber, super special edition of Cover Story, where we are featuring the top winners of the Public Relations Society of America's Silver Anvil Awards. And uh, today... We have the winner! I'm so excited. Uh, reputation, brand management, business companies with sales of more than 500 million to 10 billion, and that would be Florida Power and Light Company with RBB Public Relations. FPNL Storm Secure Program leaves hurricanes in the past. And uh, my featured guest right now is Christine Barney, RBB Public Relations CEO and managing partner of RBB Public Relations. Uh, She's a 28-person, full-service public relations firm who's also our next-door neighbor. On top of the firm's multiple Silver Anvil's PR Platinum and Saber awards, RBB was named the 2008 Agency of the Year by PR Week magazine. Barney is accredited by the Public Relations Society of America and oversees the strategic development of all client programs with an eye toward ensuring meaningful results are measured and achieved. Barney develops and coordinates multifaceted communication programs for clients including M&M's R, Mars. Mm, Starbucks, mm, Florida Power and Light, the Florida Marlins, Language Line, and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Florida. Barney's involvement in innovative management style and employee-driven workplace repeatedly puts the firm in the highest ranks of the Holmes Report's annual nationwide Best Places to Work survey. In 2007, RBB was one of the 30 nationwide finalists in the Wall Street Journal, uh, tall top small workplace competition, and again this year. welcome, Christine. Thank you very much, Brandy. Good to be here. That was a mouthful of achievement.
9: <laughs> well, it feels good here where we're sitting too. We're, we're very focused on trying to uh, promote best practices within our agency, and we're very excited uh, as are our clients that we're able to do work that garners national recognition.
1: This is so super, so speaking of national recognition, Thursday evening, describe to me your category. You know, they're at the podium. They're calling the finalist names. Mm -hmm. You're sitting at that round table. What's going through your mind?
9: Well, the Silver Anvils have always been sort of the Oscar of the PR industry. There are many awards, but the Silver Anvils, I think, have a special cachet to them because of the very rigorous judging process that they use, where I believe it's you know close to uh, a, a thousand different people come together to to review these very big fat you know 3 inch fat documents on so many different programs that are done throughout the year and pick the best of and so it is extremely exciting when you hear that you know you see your name flash up and you see your logo and they call out your program name and know that not only you know did your program uh, merit recognition by our association but by so many individuals from both corporate and agency side who believe that this program really helps set new standards in public relations.
1: But how did you feel? I mean, as so you see this come up, like did you feel like <laughs> you like did you know well, when you, you know, know her?
9: It, it's very it's very exciting and in fact, you know, uh, you mentioned not only just the the Silver Anvil award, you know that that sense of when you go up there and people are clapping for you and with the work that you've
1: done, I mean, I like I said, I can't imagine winning an Oscar would be any better. So let's get into this. You guys won. It's Silver Anvil, FPNL Storm Secure Program leaves hurricane in the past. While the possibility of hurricane is an everyday reality for Florida residents, imagine an unprecedented seven hurricanes making landfall in 15 months, causing widespread power outages, down power lines, and trees. Florida Power and Light, also known as FPL, spent 2006 recovering from these real catastrophic events. However, a new problem emerged and stayed long after the lights came back on. FPNL's reputation was as damaged as the hurricane ravaged Florida. While FPL's operation team put plans in place, to strengthen the grid in the event of future storms, FPL Communications had to sell those plans to a shaken public. The result was Storm Secure, a four-month media blitz in advance of the 2007 hurricane season to reassure the public that FPL was ready and a trusted source for preparedness information. Following a simulated hurricane, Involvement of celebrity meteorologist Max Mayfield and first-ever reporter field trips to highly secure areas, the statewide program was an unqualified success. In less than four months, we restored, or I should say, (laughs) you restored, customer uh, confidence in FPNL to an almost pre-hurricane levels. Confidence in FPNL increased dramatically with 54% of customers saying FPNL was much better or unfortunately for me, somewhat better prepared than in previous seasons. FPNL considers Storm Secure one of the most effective reputation campaigns ever initiated and turned the seasonal program into a year-round initiative designed to increase everyday reliability attitudes of its customers. So how are you able to, I mean, because you were, you had a bunch of audiences here, how are you able to influence so many tiers of people so quickly and and to achieve your result well I think a part of it
9: was as I said going to media and doing media workshops helping the media starting in April get ready so that every possible hurricane section was going to have FPL uh, messaging in it so that we would be included in all of that the second part of that was really giving unprecedented access to not only media but to officials uh, and that we knew that a lot of people were reluctant to accept FPL's promises. You know, they felt, you know, I, I need to see it, hear it, and touch it. Absolutely. So for the first time, you know, we invited people into the field to watch. We had to overcome, FPL had to overcome tremendous, um, you know, legal and other uh, business processes to allow people to ride along as they did power pole inspections to let them watch as they went into areas of critical infrastructure like, you know, hospitals and some of the big uh, lines and see how we were shoring up and making sure that those lines were going to be uh, sturdy in in the face of a hurricane. We actually simulated a hurricane dry run. We worked with, you know, probably the biggest celebrity in Hurricane Matters, Mm -hmm. which was Max Mayfield from the Hurricane Center. and. We had a fictitional Hurricane Max come, and we invited the governor. We had all the emergency management groups there and really showed how it was going to work the next time. And then we married that with you know, doing radio programs, making sure that we had a 60-second you know, um, Spanish BSA. and English mm-hmm. uh, release that went out to help people understand. Because the second part of this wasn't just saying that FTL was ready. It was helping consumers be more ready themselves Because we had research that showed that most people did not feel confident that they were prepared. And when we did the post-research, 58% of the people we surveyed said they and their families were much better or somewhat better prepared for hurricane season than in previous years, thanks to FPL. So they not only felt that FPL was better or somewhat better prepared than previous seasons, but they felt that FPL helped them be more prepared. So it was really, in in this four-month time period, it was this combination of showing them our system, letting them go behind the scenes and see what we were doing, giving them tips, being in all the media guides and coverage to see how can you be better prepared and then measuring you know post perception to see
1: how people were feeling people lost electricity you know you had hospitals right. you had children you had all of this and people are scared I mean hurricanes it's a, natu- it's, it's, it's a natural disaster people by, by nature are, are scared about this when you started your outreach program where did you find sort of the most resistance to people listening to you, and how did you push back that p- push through that to actually make that be your coup de gras? Well, I think that the
9: biggest resistance actually came from media, more so than from consumers. I mean, we did a, a, a customer survey, you know, to help understand what people were concerned about and we got back most of the things that we expected in terms of people had lost power Mm -hmm. they had more negative perceptions you know the longer they were without power the more negative their perceptions were and there was a lot of concern about you know well you know I wanted to know what you're doing. There was a lot of what I would say, the, the biggest message we got back from them was, you're not telling me enough about what you're doing to ensure that the system is strong. The biggest pushback we got was more from media because media, as I said, you know, their, their resistance was, don't just tell me you're strong, show me you're strong. And that's where we ended up with the field outings. Because no amount of sitting down with reporters and telling them how we've inspected all these polls has as much impact as saying, come out with us and watch what we do and how we check a poll safety, how we change it out if it needs to be changed. I mean, we had headlines, you know, there was a Sun Sentinel headline that read, FPL, we're tougher, we're ready. I mean, you can't ask for better than that. People reading that see the endorsement of media saying that they went out, they took this tour they saw it headlines you know fpl strengthens hospital lines for storm season gearing up for storm season Uh, employee preparation extends to home life storm tips from Florida power and light those are just some of the headlines when people read that they're getting the sense that media has seen felt and touched that Mm -hmm. the company has done things that will make a
1: difference which is terrific and that they were also in like double cooperation with you because I'm sure a lot of the media make a ton of money by their sponsorship of their hurricane preparedness, well, maybe I mean, we did no advertising in our budget. I mean, I, I think that I, I'm
9: not familiar with if FPL sponsored their hurricane supplementals. We were only in the editorial portions.
1: no, no, no I that right. no, no, that's what I'm saying is is that you got strong editorial where right, right where you know, a lot of the time media outlets are about the bottom line, and this is something that they could actually garner a lot of sponsorship dollars for.
9: Well, I think definitely the fact that we helped them make their hurricane materials more robust, you know, Mm -hmm. we gave them information, made it easier for them to put together their supplementals. We started early. We found out what they needed. You know, and they they told us very specific things that they needed. You know, we'd love to get more pictures. We'd love to be able to get more tips for consumers on perfect. prepared in, in certain areas. And we delivered it for them to make their jobs easier. That is so perfect. And in <laughs> fact, when we did the post-research, when we asked people, you know, the question was, you know, why do you say that FPL was prepared for the, the next hurricane season? The top four reasons people gave, where number one was I saw news coverage that talked about their efforts. And so. And then number two was I saw FPL trimming trees and clearing vegetation. I saw FPL replacing, upgrading, burying power lines. And I believe FPL's learned and made improvements from previous hurricanes. Those were the top four reasons that people gave. And whether they saw it firsthand or saw it through the eyes of the third-party mm-hmm, media, mm-hmm. again, it was it's a very old adage, seeing is believing. You know, we can talk about how ready we are, but that nothing makes Uh, A believer, better than being able to experience it yourself.
1: That is so well put. And at the end of the day, you know, you met and exceeded your goals. You received. I mean, my goodness. Let me see here. You received. You secured more than fifty million media impressions. Ninety-seven. That was the
9: goal. We actually had ninety-seven million media impressions.
1: Right. I'm so sorry. Ninety. My correction. Ninety-seven media Mm -hmm. impressions were generated through coverage. through your field outings, dry run interviews with storm secure spokespeople, hurricane guides, public access television and radio outreach, and then of course the feature stories you mentioned, which comprised ninety five percent of the coverage, mm-hmm. and it, that also allowed FPNL to fully convey its key messages and overall tone of the media coverage, reflecting a more positive, trusting position than previous years. You done good, kid. <laughs> well, the program has continued, so that to me is uh, the the <laughs> mark of uh,
9: achievement more than anything else is that FPL has actually incorporated reliability as part of its ongoing communications because this isn 't a one shot deal you don 't just make people good and go away right. you know the, the, you need to be out there and showing because hurricanes unfortunately are going to be a part of our life for the foreseeable future, and so we need to maintain the openness of communication and and I think the fact that you know a company of the you know people always say to me well you know when you're a utility you don't have to communicate cuz you're a regulated or a monopoly but i think that the the today's smart companies recognize the value in customer satisfaction and in listening as well as talking and so these types of programs are designed to really help people Start to feel like they have a relationship with the utility, and, and by no means is the job done. It's a long road to hoe, as I think you know. You and I were talking about. It takes time before everyone can start to see the you know and feel a part of the FPL um, mission. You know, mission, so to speak. But I think that this is a good first step because it, it created more transparency. People can see what they're doing, touch what they're doing, hear from them more. And even if you don't, you aren't always happy with their level of service. At least you know. Through their website, through their uh, increased outreach, maybe you feel as though you have more of an opportunity to participate in a dialogue with
1: them, which is important. And, and like you said, it, it, it's an ongoing program. Especially, you know, I would think that you know Florida's, you know, consists. It's a transient. It's a transient state. People are constantly moving down here, so that story mm-hmm. needs to be told again and again and again. Both, both for FP to have a positive standing in the community, as well as to people be to be protected properly.
9: Absolutely, and we also have a tremendous number of seasonal residents who are here part-time, and so that's why you need to keep the message going 12 months a year, not just once a year on June 1st when hurricane season starts.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Congratulations, again, Christine Barney, CEO, RBB Public Relations in Miami. Um, her Silver anvy, Anvil reputation brand management business companies with sales of more than 500 million to 10 billion florida power and light congratulations thank you very much all right everyone that was my neighbor and i want everyone to pay very special attention to this winner because this winner shows that planning is important Planning your campaigns, you know, we've heard from a lot of very, very successful finalists and some fabulous winners over the course of this series. But And not that everyone should be shortcutting anything, but it shows necessity is a mother of invention. And if you do it right, you too can not only meet and exceed your goals, but win one of the most highly coveted awards that there is. So without further ado, I would like to introduce to you Fred Sain, who has two jobs, he is the mayor's press secretary, and he's also the communications director for San Diego. And big congratulations to him because they won City of San, Diego, uh, City of San Diego's communications team receives Public Relations Professional of the Year honors from the Public Relations Society of America this past June 5th at the Silver Anvil Awards ceremony. Welcome, Fred.
8: Thank you very much. It's such a pleasure to be with you. We are just so overjoyed at this incredible, incredible honor.
1: I mean, okay, so here you are. You were, you were, you were in New York, yes?
8: Yes, absolutely. Very exciting.
1: Okay, so you're at the award, you're, you're, you're rubbing elbows with all these other PR professionals that you respect, your peers, and your category, which is a really, I mean, wow, what a great category to be included in. They call your category.
8: It was absolutely unbelievable. I will tell you, one of the things that I said that night is um, I'm not easily intimidated. I appear at a uh, briefing podium virtually every day in our press room here at City Hall. And, you know, some some pretty hardened journalists throw questions my way, and, you know, they don't faze me. They're just kind of part of the job, but it's an entirely different experience when you are standing in front of the very best and brightest in the public relations industry because those are your colleagues, and mm-hmm. to be able to do that that evening was absolutely one of just the most memorable experiences in my professional life, and I won't soon forget it.
1: Good for you. So what... Like, how did you feel? I mean, outside of elated, like really, what were some of the things that came to your mind? What did you do? Did you do the chicken dance? <laughs>
8: <laughs> no, to be honest with you, I- For a moment there, you really can't believe that this is you, you know, and uh, it is I will tell you, it is it's such an amazing recognition to even have been selected as a finalist. Right. It's even more amazing to have won your category, but then to be distinguished as the PR professionals of the year is something that truly I never really quite fathomed, especially given the history of the individuals that have won this award. It is such an incredible distinction and one that I am so incredibly humbled by Um, because, you know, I'm not unlike anybody else in this profession. You show up every day to do your job. You really try and be... um, at, very good at your job, and you enjoy it, you love it, you, you keep coming wanting, you know, back for more. Um, but to have all of that recognized as, um, as you know, kind of uh, A showing off the very them. best of the profession is absolutely mm-hmm. an amazing honor.
1: Right. I mean, you're in terrific company, because, you know, my goodness, last year, Al Gore's, you know, team won. Bernadette LeJour from the NHL won the year previous to that. Charles Carner from, uh, I mean, won previous to that. Um, Grace Chen Trent won. I mean, so you are in.
8: Believe me, this is not something that is lost on me. I know, but for those listening- <laughs> when you when you look back at the list of winners. All of a sudden, you know, those shoulders sink a little lower and you, uh, you begin to understand really what a responsibility this is in order as well, in order to go on doing great things for the profession.
1: So let's give people a bit of a history. Let's, and I'm going to let you do this. Give us a succinct um, background on, on your submission.
8: Well, okay, I, and I think what I'll do first, if it's okay with you, is kind of describe um, the, the, the issues that even created this opportunity, if you will, for us to, uh, to make a submission in the crisis communications category. Um, we have wildfires uh, virtually um, all the time here in Southern California. It's just kind of a, you know, some folks have hurricanes, some folks have tornadoes, some folks have thunderstorms. Some folks have earthquakes. We in Southern California have, uh, depending on where you live, a combination of wildfires and and earthquakes. And uh, San Diego in particular has um, an awful lot of wildfires. So uh, back on a Sunday in October, uh, we had possibly the worst of all circumstances. We had Uh, humidity in the 0% range, 0 to 5% range. We had intense heat uh, of over uh, 100 degrees, which is extremely uncommon uh, for our area. Our average temperature around here is about 72 to 75 degrees. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had... desert winds that were coming in from the east towards the coast that were bringing in all of this intense heat with very low humidity. And to kind of make matters worse, um, we had had a drought for about four or five years. So there was an awful lot of dry grass and brush all over the place. And so this confluence of activities kind of created a situation that was uh, completely ripe Um for a wildfire, and so around two in the afternoon, this wildfire started in the uh, kind of eastern portions of the county, very rural, and within a matter of hours, it had affected hundreds of acres. And over uh, the next five days, uh, that one wildfire would become uh, seven separate wildfires that would decimate literally hundreds of thousands of acres in San Diego County.
1: Right. I mean, and- I, I, I have I have something. Uh, you know, like oh, close to 200,000 acres.
8: The first thing that we did when these fires started was were, were to establish a joint information center. And um, on probably uh, five times a day, we had press briefings. This was a major change from the way in which wildfire information had gone out in the past. So my boss is the mayor of this community, stood in front of the press, and we basically provided the latest information that was available, including the uh, mandatory evacuations, the recommended evacuations and then eventually repopulation so information dissemination was the first thing that we did and obviously getting that information correctly um, not only into the hands of my boss the mayor but also out through press advisories so that all sorts of press outlets media outlets would have it accurately and timely was an um, was an immense undertaking as you can appreciate so my boss made the decision the city is not by the way as Are as is the case with most cities, at least in the state of California, we are not in the emergency evacuation shelter business. Correct. That is something that we really kind of leave to the Red Cross. But with the Red Cross overwhelmed, my boss made the decision to go ahead and open up Qualcomm Stadium, the host to Super Bowls, um, as the city's mega shelter, as the evacuation site. Well, with Katrina so fresh in the minds of so many people, that from a press perspective, not from an operations perspective, but from a press perspective, mm-hmm. brought up an awful lot of potential vulnerabilities in that we knew the comparison was going to be obvious and virtually immediate. So that's where the operations component kicks in, in that um, You know, I will tell you, our city operations folks uh, were just amazing. And the citizens of our community came together in order to just really make Qualcomm Stadium work. There was nothing um, that we needed that was not donated. The city did not spend a cent running Qualcomm. And so I I I I want to interrupt
1: you. I want to interrupt you. I want you to state that. I'll, I'll, I'll state it when people were evacuated to the Qualcomm Center and this is so very important no money from the city was spent corporations donated the necessities for the evacuees which i think is so Im- which is so important because From a from a PR perspective, it helps those companies because once again, everyone hears people probably want to slap me from hearing me say so often, you know, giving back to a community you benefit from. But it's a great PR twist for them. But more importantly, if you are living in that city and that city has taken a big hit from a natural disaster, this is also taking some of the pressure off the bottom line, which is only going, you know, which would only affect the citizens regardless. So this is also part of your plan, which was so successful.
8: Well, you're absolutely right. From the moment that the mayor decided to open up Qualcomm, we literally issued the 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 same uh, media advisory on two different issues. The first was that Qualcomm was now open as a shelter and literally in the second sentence of that same advisory was a call for donations of Ten, twelve different things, and where we needed those donations. And I will tell you that within a couple of hours, we were so overwhelmed by donations that we called the military in to help us with the donations. Oh, for the
1: dissemination of the donations, you mean? Yep.
8: And by that evening, we had literally millions of dollars in cash donations from large corporations, and we made a point. Of scheduling literally a about a 45-minute news conference one evening in which we went through the entire laundry list of corporations that had donated to make this and other efforts possible
1: you know I do know also that you you gave free access to the press inside of the Qualcomm Center,
8: correct? You're absolutely right. And the reason we made that decision because, um, in in some respects, because of what had happened in Katrina, we wanted to make sure that press from all over the world and literally all three of the mainline networks, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, all had, um, you know, their their talent, if you will. And the the, the three main uh, broadcast networks all had their anchors originating their newscast from Qualcomm so we made a, a conscious decision to go ahead and simplify um, logistics and access to the inside of Qualcomm Stadium which is something that Red Cross typically does not do or allow we wanted to make sure that there was that there were no secrets that folks completely understood that Qualcomm was open that things were going Going well, because we thought we had so many great stories to tell. Well, and the people are safe, and the people were safe. Absolutely, right? I mean, that San Diegans mm-hmm. were rallying as a community to respond.
1: Okay. Well, you know, kids, it's the end of a very important show. We had three fabulous winners on the show with exemplary campaigns that met and exceeded their goals. If they can do it. You can do it too. All of their submissions are located over at prsa.org. So you can dig in and see how some of their successes you can apply bits and nuggets so that uh, you can use it for your own successful campaigns. Special thanks to the PRSA's uh, internal staff people like Jeff Julin, Diane Gomez, Debbie Girard, everyone over there. Just terrific people to work with, helped us organize this. and. Um, We thank you a lot.